This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, Langley Township Mayor Eric Wood rejoins us as his community looks at potentially repealing a trio of neighborhood development plans after the province brings down the hammer with its housing legislation. Plus, more bad news for BC United. A private poll shows the party sinking in its political heartland. And we continue with our series, The Next Million, and look at Vancouver, the sports city, in 2050. Can we land another Major League Sports franchise in the NBA, NFL, or Major League Baseball? And isn't it time we built an open-air 30,000-seat stadium in the suburbs? That's coming up on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. But first, let's focus on housing. Premier David Eby was on the show yesterday, and we spent a lot of time talking about his government's housing legislation. Take a listen to what he had to say. For us, for me, and for our government, uh, we're going to take a big swing, and we're going at all of the things. We're going at short-term rentals. We're going mm-hmm. at properties that are empty, and people are using them as investments through the speculation and vacancy tax. Uh, we're going at money laundering in the property market. We had our first unexplained wealth order uh, filed in court last week. We introduced that legislation at the beginning of my term as premier. And uh, we need to bring on a significant amount of new homes for people and homes that they can actually afford. So the premier promises to swing, swing, uh, swing big on housing in the township of Langley, though, has taken a step towards scrapping a trio of neighbourhood plans in reaction to the new housing legislation uh, from Mr. Eby's government. Uh, at issue, of course, is the government's Bill 44, which will require municipalities to allow up to 40 units on a standard residential lot. Uh, township councillors uh, say they're concerned uh, about those regulations if applied to three uh, planned neighbourhoods uh, where they would see uh, the population expand from 47,000 to 115,000. Last night, council approved a motion to consider repealing the Booth, Wren, and Fern Ridge neighborhood plans uh, in January. Joining me now to discuss the issue is Eric Woodward, the mayor of the township of Langley. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on to discuss that. Uh, yeah, uh, is there any way, anything you could have done, and to to hold off or or start a different process where you wouldn't have to basically throw out all those years of planning? No, I think that's the process. So right now, technically, it would be a, a repeal of those neighborhood plan bylaws. But part of that will be a public hearing, and we'll be hearing from the public, hearing from property owners. And one option for council to consider is that you know once we look at the ramifications of Bill Forty Four in these areas. Uh, Council can consider allowing the plans to proceed, knowing what the implications are. The challenge was, you know, a lot of the community members in that area, you know, were told that it was going to be a certain plan, and that with Bill 44, that's been changed. And I think we have a responsibility to let them know that there's that change through a public process. How many more communities do you think will follow uh, what you're doing? Uh, You know, I'm not sure how many are directly affected in the way we are. You know, we've got that, you know, you've mentioned that before, Jazz. We've got that 2,800 acres of undeveloped urban land ready to go, you know, on the western part of our municipality, uh, compact urban areas, uh, you know, ready for the future. And Bill 44 has definitely changed the way we had anticipated building out some of those areas. You know, we've got a lot of missing middle apartments, townhomes, rural homes going into that Willoughby area and really wanted to have some different housing forms, that compact lot, 
townhouses uh, in the south of Langley where we're not anticipating uh, transit service anytime soon. So what should the, the province have, have done? I mean, there's tremendous pressure on all levels of government to get the supply up, build different types of housing, yeah. and acknowledge that not everybody's going to be able to afford a single-family home anymore. Um, what should the province have done in your mind where they do address those issues that the public are demanding be addressed, at the same time leave communities like yours uh, or provide them enough flexibility to continue to do what you're doing? Yeah, I think the you know there would have been maybe some nuance brought to the table that you know maybe in other parts of Metro Vancouver you know parking requirements are something you can move on from if you have all the transit service or you have the you know vast proportion of the transit service in your area. In South Langley, where we're looking at building out some of that area, you know the Bill 44 doesn't allow us to require parking after the first unit, so we'd be building out you know large areas with. Uh, four units per lot with no parking requirements, and that's just not going to work in South Langley. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest provision that causes us to revisit the plan, along with uh, the lack of school planning. So as part of opening up these new areas, we plan for a certain quantity of schools, and we require that land to be put aside. And uh, that planning process has been undermined uh, for school sites because of that population increase. So but, there's there's multiple reasons council has to look at that. Couldn't you replan for those schools again? I know you're going to have more people there, but it which would probably mean a few more schools, but could you not work that into the any 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 future plans knowing full well this is what the province is expecting from you? Yeah, absolutely. So one of council's options would be to to try to turn them around plans updates as quickly as possible. Um, but we have to go through a process to do that. We can't just have Victoria arbitrarily change these plans when the community had certain expectations there were a certain amount of planning so we absolutely could the other problem however with some of these lower density forms even even some quads on various lots may not be enough density to provide for the upfront cost of providing that that quantity of schools so i think we would have to look at the overall economics of the entire plan and i think we can potentially uh, do that next year and and get back to work uh, Craig Cameron, who is a West Vancouver City Council, was on my colleague Mike Smith's show earlier this morning, and I think he was asked about um, the NDP's housing plan. Uh, your name came up, your community came up. I want you to listen to this comment uh, Craig Cameron made on the Mike Smith show earlier today. The province implementing these rules on a province-wide basis and saying everybody has to contribute, every community must accept some change and some density is exactly the direction we need to go. And mayors like Mayor Woodward really should stop spending their time explaining why they don't like what's happening and start getting with the program and and figuring out how they can make it work well for Langley, because he can. It Mm. will work for Langley if done carefully. So why not spend your time doing that instead of complaining about, you know, the the measures that are patently necessary? I mean, we need more housing. I don't think he would disagree with that. He just wants to do it on the slow train, and that's not working. Uh, what do you say to Mr. Cameron's comments from this morning? Well, I mean, everybody's in, entitled to their opinion, even if it's uninformed and out of touch with what's occurring in Langley. Um, you know, we are, we're not on the slow train, Jazz. As you know, we're the fastest-growing municipality in the province. So, you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, we, we're quite happy to listen to other points of view, and, of course, we need housing. Uh, but to say the Township of Langley is not willing to accept density change and is on the slow train, obviously, it's just not a, completely out of touch with what's going on here. Um, and, you know, being lectured about creating housing by West Vancouver is kind of laughable.
Uh, I'm curious, uh, with this legislation that's there, there's going to be regulations, there's still going to be more consultation with municipalities, including yours. Is there a solution within the present framework of the legislation and and, and regulations that are expected? Well, we we suggested to the ministry that maybe an exemption for, you know, because uh, Metro Vancouver also requested an exemption for City of Surrey and uh, Township of Langley based upon the fact that we're different. We're the largest municipalities in Metro Vancouver with that greenfield opportunity, that new urban land area. So we are unique in that way. And we are you know, well past our housing targets, um, you know, way past our, our anticipated housing targets because of my predecessors brought on so much urban land at the same time. So we have that housing being built, and I think we could have easily put together a case that, that we would continue to exceed our housing targets, creating the exact housing the minister is looking for in a different way than a Vancouver or a newest minster is going to have to go about it. And uh, we wish that that had been recognized and we could have been uh, left on course to continue to be the fastest growing municipality in the province. So I don't think Township of Langley is the problem. Uh, uh, Eric, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Really appreciate it, Jess, and uh, I think it's really important to highlight that, that we're being positive as well. We're, you know, we're we're frustrated that a lot of work is maybe has to be redone, but we're going to get to work and we'll get these plans updated. Hopefully, and council can look at that next year and and we can carry on. Welcome back to the show as we continue with our series, The Next Million. The series airs every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. We've been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people and is expected to hit 3.8 million uh, by 2050. How do we accommodate all these new residents? How do we live, work and play in a region with a million more people? We've looked at a lot of uh, interesting issues, uh, the shortage of industrial land in our city. How do we govern the region? Food security. Uh, how we commute uh, in Vancouver with another million residents. Well, today I wanted to, to talk about something that's relatively fun in my mind. And that, of course, uh, is the issue of BC and Metro Vancouver's professional sports scene. Over the past few years, the NBA has made it clear that it wants to expand. While well, cities like Seattle and Las Vegas have been the obvious choices so far, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has said that he is very much interested in the ever-growing basketball market here in Canada, besides the Toronto Raptors. He has said there's obviously interest in Montreal and there's still ongoing interest in Vancouver. Now, remember, when the NBA arrived in Vancouver, the population was around 1.8 million people. Today, we're at 2.8 million people, with another million expected by 2050. So why stop at basketball? What about a provincial, uh, an NFL team uh, or an, a Major League Baseball team? Well, joining me now to discuss uh, sports in uh, Metro Vancouver in 2050 is Rob Fay, the weekend morning host here at CKNW and a longtime sportscaster as well. Rob, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this conversation because, you know, we can talk about government and all that kind of stuff, but cities are also about fun. And uh, we we uh, love talking sports in this city. And now we have the Canucks, uh, and sometimes they disappoint us. Mostly they disappoint us, but we are still always there. <laughs> so let's start with the NBA just for a second. Um, they're going to announce new NBA franchises. We're expecting them to be Seattle and Las Vegas at this point. Do you see a future of a future NBA franchise back here in Vancouver? I think a lot of things would have to go right. I mean, you got to remember what the evaluation of an NBA franchise is in 2023 by comparison to 95 when mm-hmm. Arthur Griffiths was able to get an NBA team here. You're talking about billions of dollars. So the building, check, but ownership and a bigger check, that still remains to be seen who would take that on. 
Yeah, I was thinking about um, uh, the Phoenix Suns. Matt uh, Ishbia spent $4 billion. Uh, we just found that the Dallas Mavericks were sold for $3.5 billion. Uh, we, got, we got people with deep pockets in this city, but not that deep, that's for sure. Uh, how about NFL, the NFL or Major League Baseball? But now both of those, especially the NFL, has got a massive TV contract. There's a lot of dollars that just come in before you even sell one seat. Do you see something like that at all for the city? I think if there was one city in Canada, it'd be Toronto. But mm-hmm. I think right now Canada's probably third or fourth on the depth chart. I think they'd go back to Mexico. I think they love going to the UK. Mm-hmm. I think London's been wildly successful for the NFL. So, you know, I, again, the stars got to align on a number of fronts, but I think all roads for the NFL go through Toronto. And I think for Major League Baseball, you know, you look at Oakland and you look at some of the teams that are south of the border and yeah, there's opportunity to relocate, but even a relocation takes billions of dollars at this point. And, you know, infrastructure wise with baseball, we'd have to be building from the ground up. I mean, we've got a football stadium. We've got certain elements here, like an NBA team could go into Rogers Arena. Baseball, I mean, you're starting from scratch. So yeah. that'd be tough. Um, do we, I mean, I'm always fascinated by American cities fighting over a sports team, trying to keep a sports team. Do we not have the part, is part of our problem, the culture? Uh, in the sense that you go down south, there are some squ- beautiful stadiums for high school football, right? Mm-hmm. High school football, yeah. right? I was watching the BC High School Championships this past weekend uh, at uh, BC Place. Lots of really connected parents and fans, but it's still not the U.S. In regards to just the desire to spend the money to bring a team here, do we just, is it the culture here that says, no, we're not going to spend that kind of money? Boy, that's interesting. I had mixed thoughts. I covered the Grizzlies I was for all yeah. six years, 95 through 2001. And, you know, one of the things that I talked with a couple of the players was I didn't think that Vancouver was ready from a cool factor. And let me explain what that means. I think when you play in certain cities south of the border, like New York, for example, in Chicago and L.A., there's vibes and, and players speak the language of the community. I never felt like the Grizzlies in Vancouver clicked. I felt like it was. I felt like we were still a hockey town that was trying to figure out what basketball was. Mm. I think in 2023, you you talk about adding a million people, and you talk about Vancouver becoming more of a melting pot. I think if the NBA was to ever come to Vancouver now, it'd be much more successful. But it took us failing once for us to understand what it was and how appreciated or how we would appreciate it moving forward. So do I think it could succeed now? Yeah. Do I think we missed it the first time around? Yeah. Much more than just financially. I don't think we were ready mentally for that team. Yeah, I think there's a cultural yeah. cultural issue. So, I mean, Seattle lost their team, and they're going to get it back, but it's also the home of Microsoft and Amazon and Starbucks, and uh, a lot of folks with very deep pockets uh, in, in that city, I would even argue more so uh, than, than uh, Vancouver. Uh, one of the other issues is stadium, right? We have BC Place, mm-hmm. uh, was refurbished by, under the BC Liberal thing, the $600 million that was spent. Lots of controversy around that, but it, it got done. Um, there, has been, there was talk at one point uh, by Doug McCallum, the former mayor of Surrey, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you spent so much time talking about Surrey policing, and one would argue Surrey policing and running a municipal police force, not a bad idea, probably, but maybe Doug McCallum isn't the guy to sell it. Uh, Doug McCallum, during the last election campaign, also <laughs> sold the idea of a, of a stadium similar to BC Place in Surrey. Uh, he was a controversial figure. We actually uh, ended up... Uh, uh, providing or giving our our listeners the naming rights uh, to that Surrey Stadium. Let's take Love a it. listen uh, to some of our callers. We are going to build a sixty thousand person arena in Surrey. Oh, baby, baby. 
I'm granting you naming rights to this stadium. That's Dream Dome. The What Housing Crisis Palace. Or Zoo. The Collecting Dust Bowl. Doug Mahal. Scandlestick Park. Dougie's Tobacco Dome. Pinocchio Place. The Empty Bowl. The Big Hole. Doug Dumpster Fire Dome. <laughs> I really enjoyed covering that election campaign. But, but here's the thing. I actually thought it's not a bad idea but maybe he wasn't the right guy to sell it. Like, maybe not a 60,000-seat stadium. Like, what do you think of... But that's what ma- killed him. Yeah. Like, you know that. that It was the number that everybody was like, what is he thinking? If it was 30, sure. 25, yeah. maybe. Like, isn't this region in need of an open-air 30,000-seat stadium right now? Absolutely. And you think back in the days, I guess it's almost been 10 years when the Whitecaps tried to get that done down at the waterfront. And boy, if they could have done it with their own money, it would have been fantastic. But I look back to when the BC Lions were refurbing BC Place. Well, actually, BC Place was, but they had to go out to the P&E. And even though it was just constructed like Lego because they were only there temporarily, fans loved the open air concept. They loved seeing the mountains and seeing the P&E behind them. That to me, if you could do that over again, but do it maybe in a, a rural setting like out in Surrey, for example, or Langley, it's just a cash cow waiting to happen. I really believe that. Yeah, I mean, BC Place has had lots of memorable performances there, uh, but it doesn't fill up under a Whitecaps or a Lions uh, game, number one. And 95% of the time, it's just a big white elephant that sits there, and it's dead around there. And that's the other thing. It, it, and that's where I sometimes think these stadiums, either you build an entertainment complex around them, build a hotel or a convention center, but just on their own. They're kind of a dead zone. If you yeah. look at downtown, they're a dead zone, right? Yeah, you know, and I, I would say the last couple of years has been a struggle. I mean, COVID didn't help anybody down there. The businesses have no. struggled. I mean, even when your team doesn't make the playoffs, it struggles. So I, I would like to think of the reason that I justified using it out towards the burbs is you talk about all these demographics and all these people that have done their research and you think of New West and Surrey and Langley and Burnaby and all these people that would, you know, love to not have to pay 50 bucks for parking. Why not go to the Burbs? Yeah. Why not at least explore that? Well, they're moving SkyTrain out to Langley City, yeah. and hopefully one day to move it all the way up 200th Street and by that movie theater. I've always thought that's a place where folks in the Valley can come in and park there and come in. Uh, but give us a call on the open line. We'd love to hear from you. Another million people moving to Vancouver. Do you think it's time we seriously started looking at an open-air stadium, perhaps 30,000, 40,000 people, uh, maybe a hotel attached to it? Uh, maybe not the Doug Mahal or Scandlestick Park, <laughs> as it was said, but maybe there is a room for that. I mean, this is what annoys me. Rob, is that there was the private sector, in this case, it's the white cap saying, we'll build a yep. stadium and we still managed to mess it up in this region that, no, 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 let's let's spend more tax dollars when you don't need to, right? I'll bet you a dollar that if they'd have pitched it to Ken Sim, they'd already have shovels in the ground. Yeah, probably. I mean, Betcha. we have a private sector arena already. It's called Rogers Arena. It's been successful. We love it. We go to it. So I'm not sure why we say no to somebody willing to pay to build a, a stadium. So give me a call. Love to hear from you. What do you think of the idea of an open-air stadium, Thirty to 40,000 uh, here in the Metro Vancouver area, perhaps the suburbs? Uh, and also would love your thoughts on whether you think uh, Vancouver will ever attract an NBA or an NFL team or Major League Baseball. 604-280-9898. That's 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell phone. Rob Faye is our guest. Your call's next. Hey, welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, uh, we're talking about our series, The Next Million, and we're talking about uh, Vancouver as a sports city in 2050 with another million people here. Does that mean we'll maybe attract 
the odd uh, franchise here, NH- uh, sorry, NFL or the NBA or Major Major League Baseball. Uh, we also want to hear from you. Do you think it's time we, we really uh, focus on building a thirty to 40,000 uh, seat open air stadium? Think about watching BC Lions on a beautiful uh, sunny day or the Whitecaps rather than massive cavernous uh, BC Place. Call us on the open line, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell phone. We'd love to hear from you. Do you think we should move forward with that stadium idea in the suburbs? Because that's where 75% of us live, you know. Uh, let's go to, uh, speaking of the suburbs, let's go to Gurdeep and Siri. Hi, Gurdeep. Hi, Jazz. Um, you know, thank you for taking my call. I think um, the Cloverdale Fairground would be a great location. I understand the race uh, course is moving and there's a huge open space there. There's already a casino. Skytrain is going to be running close by. It's Highway 15 or 176 goes to the U.S.-Canada border. So that would be a great location to put a 30, 40,000 square foot stadium. And I'm not just, and you know, in our natural evolution uh, with the kind of growth, you know, professional sports uh, and, and not just restrict to, you know, football or anything, Look at tennis. You know, if you look at the popularity, we just hosted the Labor Cup, and there was a huge uh, success. And you know, we, for example, if you know your tennis, we could go for a 500 level or a thousand level, uh, you know, uh, professional uh, tournament uh, for tennis, and that that'll be a huge draw as well. So we got to expand our. You know, thinking. Yeah, Gritty, thank you for your call. I didn't even think about that, Rob. That's actually true, you know, in regards mm-hmm. to if you build a stadium, it doesn't take much more to build, let's say, a, a big a tennis court that can handle a thousand people or many other things. Well, I went to the Labor Cup and I was dumbfounded how beautiful it looked. I mean, it's usually a hockey arena or, a, you know, a venue for music, but man, did it look sparkling. And they had Roger Federer come out and wave to the crowd. So, yeah, it could totally be done. But I'm thinking 25, 30 south. You know where I've long thought that they could, I don't know if Burnaby would be down with it. But I think the grounds where Swangard is mm. is still a great spot. You're not far from transit. You got the park right beside you. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's something there. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know the, uh, the the new SkyTrain that's going in all the way to Langley City. I'm not sure how close it's going to be to Cloverdale. I'm assuming it'll be quite close. It does go down Fraser Highway, to my understanding. But yeah, it's always it's that SkyTrain. If it's close enough. Or maybe you put something in and SkyTrain shows up. Anyway, that's you how you never do know. it, right? That's how you have to do it. Uh, one of the other things, uh, and uh, Keith, just hang on one second. We'll get to you in a second, Keith, in Vancouver. It's also the demographics of this city are changing, right? I mean, I got stopped here one day. It was two months ago. So, uh, one of our listeners, he said hi, and he says, look, he goes, Canada's about to make the Cricket World Championships, Jazz. You guys should cover that. Mm-hmm. And we actually end up covering it based on that conversation. Uh, but I know... Toronto's got a very beautiful 2020 cricket, which is basically taking five days of cricket, the old cricket, and condensing it down to uh, something that's on for three hours, like most sports, a 2020 cricket, which is huge. And in, and I know the last World Championships in cricket uh, just uh, was uh, last month. Uh, the championships between India and Australia, 360 million people. Uh, Super Bowl, uh, last Super Bowl, 2023, Kansas City and Philadelphia, 115 million viewers. So Really? So, you know, even a cricket pitch or something <laughs> like that, I could see something. It wouldn't cost that much. I know in India, I've been, been to some of them, 120,000 seat cricket pitches. This is massive. I can't even fathom that. I know. But they, they, there's, a, there's a cricket league now in the U.S., and they've bought an old minor league baseball uh, stadium, and they've, it's a cricket pitch now in Texas. In Texas, they're playing cricket. So I think demographics are going to drive some of this as well. And it gets to some of these other sports that we generally don't focus on, you know. So Jazz, I think you're on to something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, let's go to Keith in Vancouver. Hi, Keith. 
Cricket in Texas. That is quite something. <laughs> yes. I, that. I, know. Uh, I think I think it'll be quite cold in Hades before the NFL ever shows up here. One of the reasons San Diego no longer has a team, and this is a quote I heard a number of years ago, it's too small of a market. And there's a half a million more people living in greater San Diego right now than there is in greater Vancouver. So that's probably a no-go. You don't think so? I mean, eight games, we couldn't fill the stadium for the eight games? I mean, there's enough British Columbians already traveling to Seattle most weekends during the NFL season. Yeah, I'm not sure it's that. It, it's uh, Rob said it's that, that cool aspect, too. It, it would cost a pretty mighty hefty price for a ticket, I would think, for NFL as well. But I, I have to throw one quip at you from 30-odd years ago when BC Place opened 40 now. Is there was always talk? Oh, we could get an NFL team now. We got this great big stadium, and it was very quickly brought up that there was some problems with how close the abutment of the seats came down to ground level, and it was like if you were 12 feet past the end of the end zone, if you were eight feet up, you might hit this abutment. And the redoubtable Jim Taylor made the comment: If the BC Lions can find a wide receiver who is still Eight feet in the air, 12 feet out of the end zone, they should sign them very quickly. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much, Keith. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate uh, your call. It's still a great sports town. I just wish we get another team of some sort, you know? You know, what's funny is uh, the Canadians were exploring the possibility of trying to bring Major League Baseball up here for a couple of exhibition games. Uh, for those a little longer in the tooth, like myself, you remember the exhibition series that used to come up to BC yeah. Place? Had the Mariners, had the Blue Jays, um, you know, a few different teams from the States. We did batting practice there. It was it was super sleuth. It was, Pavco wanted nothing to do with this being public, but we took a bunch of UBC baseball players and a bunch of aluminum bats and saw how they did there. And if they could hit the you know second tier, chances are Jose Bautista is going to be able to put one to the moon. <laughs> Anyhow, in addition to them and the scoreboard and all the things that didn't make it work, when they reconfigured the stadium for soccer and the Olympics, they actually put a bunch of concrete in there that takes baseball completely out of the equation. So everybody says, oh, we should bring baseball back and put it in a BC place. It is physically impossible to do that, just so that people know. Because people think, oh, we should bring the exhibitions back. Can't do it. Oh, wow. Well, maybe another million people will convince them to maybe make some changes. Rob, thanks so much, my friend. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As often said, politics makes the world go round. When it comes to BC politics, things are spinning and spinning quickly. Joining me to talk a little bit about uh, what has transpired over the next uh, last couple of days here in BC is Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. Good afternoon, Richard. It sure is exciting, Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it is exciting. Now, uh, uh, just before we went to air, I, uh, I uh, released some information uh, based on a private poll that I had uh, seen uh, the other day, uh, released it out on social media. And basically what the poll uh, showed, it, it was focusing on the writing of Abbotsford West. And if you don't know what the Ab- about that writing, and that writing is uh, held by Mike DeYoung, a longtime uh, BC United member. Uh, in fact, he was elected in 1994 when he beat out uh, Grace McCarthy, and that was the tail end of the social, social credit uh, 
uh, time in power, but he got elected in 1994 as a 29-year-old. He has been there since uh, and uh, well-known in the community. But uh, I recently saw a local poll for that riding done by uh, BC United members to see how that riding looked. And surprise, surprise, uh, in a poll of just about 344 adults with a uh, uh, in that riding with a margin of error of plus or minus 5.3, uh, voter intention showed 39% support for BC Conservatives, 23% for the NDP, 14% for BC United, and there still is about 17% undecided. But uh, that is a riding that has been a BC United part of BC United heartland since day one. You don't lose that riding. You don't lose Abbotsford. Uh, and that, of course, is coming just after the Abacus BC poll that came out this weekend, which showed the NDP provincially sitting at 44%, well in majority government territory. BC Conservatives, though, number two, 26 6%. BC United now down to 17% and the Greens down to 9% as well. So, uh, Richard, tell me what this is all telling you. Yeah, so the one that stands out to me in this latest poll is when asked about certain candidates. Mike DeYoung, who is one of the best-known politicians in the province, polls at 20%. So, yes, it's slightly above the party, BC United, but it's still way behind the Conservative candidate, who is the person that ran against him during the past election. And for those in the riding that remember, uh, Mike DeYoung won that riding handedly, as he has most times since he won that sneaker, squeaker of a by-election back in 1994, almost 30 years ago, against Grace McCarthy. So the fact that even when people are given that name, Mike DeYoung, uh, they are leaning towards the Conservatives. And the results in the last election had DeYoung at 46% almost. Michael Henshaw, the Conservative, 9%. So it's been a major turnaround. So that's one thing that stands out to me. The other thing that stands out to me is the fact that, you know, this may be a place. John Rustad is currently an MLA. Uh, he lives in his community of Machaco Lakes that represents Burns Lake and Vanderhoof, Fraser Lake, a few other communities there. But there's talk around Victoria that he may be considering looking at a riding like this so he can focus in on his candidacy in Metro Vancouver. Could be a big jump considering he's not from Abbotsford, he's not from the Fraser Valley, but it could be a way for him to say, look, Metro Vancouver matters to me. I'm planning on moving into the community and running there. It could be a bit of a surprise considering he's a longtime politician, but it may be something he's considering. Since you've sent out this tweet, Jazz, yep. I've heard from a lot of people. I'm sure you have too. A few things from BC United. In essence, they're saying they don't believe this comes from their supporters, that the poll likely was commissioned by a conservative supporter. It wasn't. They believe the type, type of poll that came out can at times be leading. So in essence, telling people, oh, pick conservative. I don't buy that with these sort of polls. And the other thing is, Money. The Conservatives continue to be way behind the other three parties in terms of fundraising. And although I'm hearing anecdotally BC United is struggling to raise money, the sense internally is that they are going to have a strong quarter that ends in December. And if they do have some money, that's going to help them against the Conservatives. Okay, well, that that is fine. I can tell you, first of all, it's not a Conservative ca- candidate. It's a, they're BC United uh, supporters uh, and also are concerned at where the party is sitting, number one. But how much of this do you think also beyond uh, spending dollars on, 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 um, on campaigns is just an issue of name recognition? The party, BC United in this case, just needs to do a better job getting out there, letting people know that they are the old Liberal Party. They are the traditional free enterprise voice in this province uh, and not the B.C. Conservatives. 
I believe there's been a shift here, Jazz, where based on the popularity of Pierre Polyev, yes, the Conservatives have ridden those coattails to an extent, but I think there's also a large portion of the population now that is saying, I like what those federal Conservatives are delivering, and I believe that the provincial Conservatives will offer up a similar approach in terms of promises and are starting to get behind that. And they don't believe that BC United will deliver the same type of conservatism, worried that BC United is going to pedal more towards those centrist voters in Vancouver. And I'm talking about Fraser Valley voters and northern BC voters and voters in the interior who are going to say the conservatives are the one that stands for me. And BC United is too worried about attempting uh, to please those in Metro Vancouver. And that's not what I want to see in a party. So maybe it started as the conservatives gaining momentum here, Jazz, due to the name confusion. But I believe based on the number of polls we've seen and now this internal poll in Abbotsford West, it is bigger than that. That, that the movement is larger and we are on the verge potentially mm-hmm. of a wipeout of BC United, BC Liberal, that free enterprise coalition, and could be replaced by what is now the Conservative Party of BC. Yeah, the one thing that a caveat for me is that John Rustad has done nothing in my mind to actually attract this support. Uh, no. Yes, there's name confusion, <laughs> but I mean, they've taken a hard right response when it comes to SOGI, carbon tax, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, even vaccinated healthcare workers. He hasn't uh, uh, sort of accomplished anything in my mind that would uh, certainly represent the support that he deserves. Now, yesterday, uh, Mr. Rustad was on Red FM, which is a South Asian radio station based in Surrey. Uh, he was asked by their host, Harjinder Tind, on potentially merging uh, with BC United, or at least talking to BC United about a potential merger as a free enterprise coalition. Take a listen to what he had to say. Are you ready for the merger in case it's suggested that the BC United want to merge with the uh, Conservative Party? Is there a possibility? Certainly, um, if the the United Party were to reach out uh, and want to have a discussion about uh, uh, how uh, how we could bring things together, uh, I think that's possible, but the one thing is for certain. With the Conservative Party, we will not compromise on our principles. We'll not compromise on the values that, that we are running on. Uh, and uh, so... For you to sit down with Gavin Falcon and uh, BC United leaders, then you're willing to sit down, though? Yes, certainly we're willing to sit down and have a conversation. I've, mm-hmm. I've never said we wouldn't. But, uh, you know, the challenge will be, of course, uh, they have a very different view of, in terms of how the world works uh, compared, to, uh, compared to us. And, could you imagine that meeting, Richard, uh, them sitting down? Is, who would be the leader? <laughs> you know, if there's any I just, I, just, I, I just can't believe it's going to happen. You know, it, it would have to be Kevin Falcon leaves, John Rustad leaves, someone else comes in. You know, I, I have heard BC United supporters refer to John Rustad as a joke. And, and so I have a hard time believing, Jazz, at this point. You know the human dynamics at play here as well mm. as the policy dynamics that this is not a partnership or a marriage that would go particularly well. And if it's something BC United is willing to concede on, they are now drifting far away from those centrist voters that you need to have any hope in an election. So BC United needs to believe that this is brand confusion. The Conservatives can't run an effective campaign because they have no money. And eventually, that even though people may be saying to pollsters they're going to vote Conservative Party of BC, that ultimately they come home to BC United 
uh, because that is the only chance for a right centrist party to form government in the province. That that has to be the perfect alignment for Kevin Falcon. But nothing in these polls indicate that that's where we're going. And more to me, Jazz, looks like we're going to experience these sort of vote splits where, you know, the Conservatives gain, BC United loses, and the NDP could benefit. Uh, and, and, you know, Abbotsford West uh, is just one of those places where, look, they're sitting in a strong second. Things shake out differently. Maybe they start picking up ridings they may not have considered. Maybe we have a conservative breakthrough, too, but I think it's expensive. They just don't have the money at this point to run an effective province-wide campaign. And you, you spoke to Russ Dad. I noticed in the last few weeks, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but in question period, they're leaning very heavily on Bruce Bandman, who is a more effective communicator. Uh, he checks some more of those sort of social conservative boxes in terms of charisma uh, that has been appealing about some of these conservative leaders. So I, I wonder what that dynamic is about as, as Rustad struggles to be a really uh, effective and charismatic uh, communicator. Yeah, I, I don't find Vanman very good either. I'd, I'd say he's a good. <laughs> good I, I'd give him a good five out of ten, and you can look good when <laughs> when Rust adds a three, uh, and that's part of the problem. But but they're resonating for 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 whatever reason. Well, it's been a long time uh, in this province and in the city uh, before we got ride-hilling, and I think generally it's been a success. Some folks may not like it, the taxi industry specifically, but generally speaking, just based on people's um, user ability, they do like ride-hilling. Now, uh, under a new proposal from City Hall, the fees for ride-hilling are about to go up per trip. Now, presently, um, if you are starting or ending your trip in the Metro Core uh, when it comes to ride-hilling, uh, the fee is $30 for non-zero emission vehicles and 15, sorry, 30 cents per trip for non-zero emission vehicles and 15 cents for zero emission vehicles. So moving forward, they're going to raise those rates to 25 cents for zero emission vehicles and 50 cents um, for uh, non-zero emission vehicles uh, starting in January 1st, 2024. Uh, those rate increases will make Vancouver the probably the most expenses, expensive, highest uh, ride-hailing fees uh, charged in Canada. Uh, and also those fees... Um, currently are applied between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, city staff are now looking to extend the duration from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. and it's expected to raise about $3 million in extra uh, revenue for the city. Now compare that to other uh, jurisdictions, 43 cents in Toronto, that's total, 21 in Ottawa, 45 uh, in Calgary, 30 in Edmonton, and 30 cents in Winnipeg as well, uh, which means Vancouver uh, would be significantly higher in regards to those fees. So what is happening and why do we need to be charging uh, these extra fees for ride-hailing? Joining me now to talk a little bit about the issue is Pete Fry. He's a Green Party Vancouver City Councillor. Pete, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Jeff. Happy to be here. Um, why this need for a fee hike? Yeah, I've, I've been hearing folks uh, call it uh, Ken Sims road tax. Um, I'm not uh, sure that it's entirely on, on, on Ken at this point, though. I, I think that it does reflect, I think probably, you know, on the whole, also that we're looking at finding new revenue sources to, to offset the tax increase. So the otherwise contemplated property tax increase. And these are some of the suite of... <clears throat> new revenue tools that staff have come back with. And I would say that this ride-hailing uh, increase, the Kensim road tax, also kind of goes hand-in-hand with the increase in parking permit fees. So uh, if we're 
we're raising parking permit costs uh, in the downtown core, et cetera, that uh, this sort of complements that same thing so that we're, we're not disadvantaging sort of one sector over the other. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if people start to park less and then we generate less parking revenue because they're using more ride hail. So I, I think that that's sort of how they, they, they figure these things out in tandem. Uh, are you supportive of it, or do you think that the ride failing fees should remain where they're where they're at now, where they're where they're at right now, which is twenty five, um, uh, fifteen cents for zero emission vehicles every time somebody gets a, takes a ride in an Uber or Lyft, and uh, thirty uh, cents for uh, those traveling within the metro core. You know, Jazz, I've long con- uh, maintained that we we do have to sort of pay for the private use of public space. And so I, I was also supportive of exploring some kind of, you know, uh, citywide parking permit system for those similar reasons, recognizing that they do come at a cost of maintaining our road, especially as we see increased amount of traffic and use of the road. It, it does come at a cost, and we have to figure, factor that in somehow. So to the specifics of this, is it the best timing within the, the kind of envelope of, of overall inflation and stuff? Probably not. But I do recognize that this is indirect response to uh, the mayor's request to find ways to offset the tax increase. And so finding new revenue generating tools, and this is one of the things that staff have come back with. So I expect that it probably will pass with ABC because this is kind of what they asked for. Uh, and I, 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 I won't be singling it out and, you know, voting against it necessarily because it's I don't think that's going to be effective anyway if it's sort of the will of the majority. Um, the reason I ask that question is simply because, you know, obviously there's going to be surge pricing, but generally ride-hailing is cheaper than taxis. Taxis have their place as well uh, within the broader transportation system, just as ride-hailing does, just as buses do, just as transit does, just as single vehicle, just as cycling does. But one of the advantages of ride-hailing is that generally outside of rush hour or surge pricing – it's generally viewed as efficient and generally cheaper as well compared to regular taxis. Why do we want to continue to drive up prices when it is, there is a different type of transportation system? It seems to work, seems to be popular, certainly by ridership and numbers. Why mess with that? Because it is quite efficient and it is cheaper at the end of the day for the average consumer. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I would say that there's there may be a degree of level setting between ride-hailing and, and traditional taxi services, but also acknowledging that the costs of transit are also going up. So public transit costs are, are going up at the same time and kind of in a comparable rate. And not that that's a direct kind of uh, requisition from city tax revenues per se, or, or even the purview of the city of Vancouver, um, recognizing that, that I think it's a, about achieving a balance. And I think on the whole, the, the proposed increases to the ride-hailing fees probably aren't going to dissuade folks from necessarily uh, using ride hailing, and it's probably still going to come in at, at less expensive than, than taxis uh, accepting surge pricing. So I, I, I think it's it's probably not going to be as big a hit on on ride hailing as a, as a service. I think we'll probably see the numbers stay uh, uh, consistent in growth. Uh, rather than than sort of any kind of plateau or even decrease in ride hailing usage as a result, and I think you know recognizing that this is a tool that uh, the mayor has requested, looking for ways to offset uh, the tax increase that we're otherwise contemplating. So we, we know, for instance, the original tax, the contemplated tax increase was going to be nine something, and and it's been brought down to seven point six percent. 
um, as a direct result of some of these new tools, not the least of which is is the ride hailing fee increase, which is adding a, a good nut to the to the the, the new revenue that's going to offset the property tax increase. Mm-hmm. And just to confirm, as I was saying, right now it's fifteen cents for zero emission vehicles per ride. 15 cents and then 30 cents for those within the metro core and it'll go up to 25 cents for zero emission vehicles and end to 50 cents uh, for those in the metro core. So it goes up by uh, about 10 cents for the zero emission vehicles per ride and about 20 cents uh, for those in the metro core. Uh, They're also increasing the the time when these uh, fees will be charged from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., which is presently, then it'll go to 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. under the new rules, and that would generate about $3 million in additional annual revenue by um, 2025. Um, the broader question, Pete, is, uh, you know, the property tax increase of 7.6% on top of a double-digit increase uh, the year prior. Um, are we, after this next increase that's coming in for 2024, can we assume, hope, uh, that the any future property tax increase would be more um, it would be very similar to what we had pre COVID and the the two three or potentially even four percent instead of these big hikes of seven point six and you know double digit increases from the year before or or is, or is this the new norm for the city of Vancouver for the next little while? I mean, we are we are struggling with fixed costs that are include sort of wage settlements and you know and then big council directions like the hiring of, of 100 police officers and the, the hiring of the mental health nurses, which is yet to really come to full fruition. So those are going to ultimately drive further increases, I would say, uh, on the tax revenue. And the, and the other big one is our infrastructure deficit. I was just, just asking questions in the budget session earlier about what we're seeing as a, as a clear sort of erosion of our, of our major road networks uh, to the point that they're our maintenance of them is not keeping pace with their sort of degradation. And this is driven by climate change, buses, and, and, and heavier electric vehicles, and just general usage. Uh, and so we're going to have to look to uh, invest more than we're doing right now in road uh, maintenance infrastructure. And, and, you know, this is preemptive for, for things like potholes and, and uneven surfaces that anybody who drives through the city of Vancouver will immediately go, oh, yeah, that's... That's a that's a thing, and and <clears throat> why did so we get here? Is, why did we get here, Pete? I mean, I mean, this should be just what you're saying. I don't disagree with, but why do we? Why does yeah, it have to get here well, where we go? Oh, I got to spend more money. Well, why why did we pull back on which one would argue? That's exactly what city's supposed to do. I'm going back to my 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 uh, soapbox of yeah, and, going back to basics. And potholes is one of them. A hundred percent, yeah. And I and, and I don't want to you know pass the buck and blame previous administrations that artificially kept taxes low at the expense of infrastructure renewal, but that is a big reason why we're here. You know, there's a standard metric, and bearing in mind that, you know, cities like Vancouver and like New Westminster, we're older cities, we're the oldest cities in the, in the region, and we have the oldest infrastructure. So we have a lot of aged out, decrepit infrastructure. Uh, we recently had a sinkhole in a, re- in a neighborhood park by me, and they opened it up, and it was a result of an old uh, water pipe that was built, believe it or not, with with metal bands and wood uh, two by sixes to create this this water main pipe, I couldn't believe it uh, that it was still standing. But nonetheless, it was built with wood and, and, and metal ties like a cooperage. So my point being that we do have this aged infrastructure, and that we have you know in the past chronically underinvested in it. The standard rule of thumb is to do at least one to one and a half percent of of infrastructure every year as part of the capital expenditure, and that wasn't happening for you know the better part of a decade to two plus. So 
we this is a, a bit of a case of chickens coming home to roost, and um, the reality is is that the, the, the level of services and infrastructure that Vancouverites expect and and, sh- and should expect um, has to be paid for somewhere, and and we're seeing on top of that the increasing downloading from you know senior orders of government that that see us investing in things like public mental health nurses, which has never been the purview of, of a local government, yet here we are contemplating a, a significant investment in in a public health infrastructure need that is supposed to be, you know, a, a, the provincial government responsibility, but at the same time, the people of Vancouver are really demanding some kind of action on, on that particular issue, and so we constantly are, are struggling with uh, the fact that local governments across British Columbia don't have the the finance tools to pay for a lot of this this aging infrastructure in any other way than than property taxes and fees. So it's either like a ride hailing fee or a property tax increase. But we we don't have tools. We don't have an income tax kind of draw. We don't have uh, those kind of same tools that the senior orders of government have to to fund infrastructure and renewal. Hmm. Pete, uh, thank you always for your time. Look forward uh, to chatting with you very soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jess. for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.